Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. So, Joshua uh, 14 through 18 is four chapters where we've got the division of the land being talked about. Hands up if you're one of those people when you do your daily Bible reading and you get to a four-page long genealogy if you skip over it. Well, well done to those of you who are honest, the rest of you. I want to encourage you not to skip over the genealogies, actually. I totally understand. If you're doing a, a daily Bible reading plan, it, it, there can be bits that feel quite tedious. But every one of those names is there for a reason. Every one of those names is someone who is known and dearly loved by God. And he knows their name. And he knows your name. And as we read this long list of names, it's not just a long list of random names. They're all people that God knows personally. And he was so, so, so wanting their name to be in the Word of God. And he so, so, so wants your name to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it's so important that we understand that every name has a meaning and every name has a story. And so if I had time this morning, uh, and I did this a, a few weeks ago, I started this process of going through these four chapters and looking at all the names, and looking at the tribes of Israel, and looking at the meanings of the names of the tribes, and looking at the meanings of the places where they settled. And I want to encourage you to do a bit of research on that on your own, because it's fascinating. Always look at the meanings of names in the Bible. And so I've been doing a little bit of that. That's not where I'm going at all this morning. When I started sort of planning for this a few weeks back, I was looking at that and I was going to sort of do an exegetical message about all the different meanings and why they settled, where they settled, and the significance of that. Not going to do that this morning. But you can do that. Instead, I want to jump straight to chapter 18 and read to you the first three verses. So I'm not going to read four chapters. You'll be pleased with me. This is chapter 18, the first three verses. It says this. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. So the people gathered together and what they did was to set up the tent of meeting, the place that was designated as an encounter with God place. So the first priority when the people got together was to say, we want to get together and know that we're meeting with God. We want this to be an encounter with God meeting. So when we have our meetings, when we gather together, is the first thing we do to say, right, we want to seek after the presence of God. In our connect groups, in our pastorate gatherings, in Thursday fellowship, in wildfire, in powerhouse, on Sunday mornings, when you're meeting friends from church for coffee, is the first thing we do to establish the presence of God in that meeting so that everything we do is focused heavenwards. It's a rhetorical question, kind of. They set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control. So, so they're in the land. They have learnt how to overcome opposition. They've learnt how to do battle in the heavenly realms. They've learnt that there is nothing in all of creation that can stand against them because of the power of God. Amen? They've learnt that. They're in the land and they are in control. 
There is nothing that is impossible for their God. But there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. How many tribes were there? Twelve. Seven of them had not yet received their inheritance. Who knows that's over half? They're in the promised land, church. That they've been led out of slavery years ago from Egypt. When the Lord said, you have been living as captives long enough, it's time for your deliverance. They knew deliverance. They were set free. They saw the salvation of their God. By the blood of the Lamb, they were set free. Anybody still with me? By the blood of the Lamb, they were marked with the blood and they were set free. After that, having been set free, they had a a generation in which they wandered around aimlessly, not really knowing what their purpose was. It is possible to be set free, to be marked with the blood of Lamb, but not know what your life purpose is. And after that had gone on for long enough, the Lord brought them to a place where he said, it's time to cross over into that place where you will receive your inheritance, where you can take hold of the fullness of the promises of God, where you can possess the land that I promised to your forefathers that I would give you, the land flowing with milk and honey. And now they are in the land. At Gilgal, they've been circumcised. They've been set apart in the land. They've seen breakthrough when they took hold of Jericho at the Lord's commissioning. They did this bizarre prayer walk thing. And they saw divine breakthrough when God fought for them. They learned that actually if they withheld from God, then the power of God would be restricted. When stuff is hidden, when stuff is kept in darkness, when their hearts are not pure, when the attitude towards those that God has raised up was not right. The power of God was withdrawn from them and the entire body suffered defeat. They learned that. They learned how to overcome city after city after city. Once they learned the lesson of Ai, they then learned that obedience was the key. But here, over half of them still have not taken possession of their inheritance. And so verse three, Joshua said to the Israelites, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers has given you? What a question. With all of the history that they've been through, with all of the testimony of that has gone before, the generations that have gone before, the question still remains, how long? How long before you take hold of that which is rightfully yours? What a question. What a question. Church, we're in the promised land. Amy and I believe it. in the promised land. God has led us on an amazing journey. 
and the body of Christ that is now at this season of its life called Fleet Baptist, for the last 173 years, God has been bringing us on a journey that's brought us to where we are now. We're in the land of promise. Our forefathers who planted this church, Spurgeon himself, when he preached in this community, had a vision for this being a place that actually would be a soul-winning place, a harvest for the kingdom. Read the history of the church. Our forefathers prayed and sought God. And I believe promises will have been spoken over them. We're in the land of promise. We are in a land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm not talking about the United Kingdom. I'm talking about spiritually. But have we taken hold of it? If we were to look into Luke chapter 15, don't worry about doing it now, we'd find a very, very familiar story of the prodigal son. And you know the story well. Father has two sons. And one of them, the younger one, comes up to his father, and this is my paraphrase. And he says to him, Dad, I'm sick of you. I'm bored. You know, it's just all too predictable here on the farm. I want to go and have a bit of fun. I want to live life. I want to see what's out there. There's so much out there that just seems so appealing. I want to go and explore it all. And you know, one day you're going to pop your clogs and half of everything you've worked for is mine by law. So what I'd really like is if you were to, you know, it doesn't look like you're going to die anytime soon. Can you just give me what you owe me now? Let me take my inheritance now. And, uh, and I'll go. I just want to go and live my life the way I want to live it and do what I want to do. And so in his grace, the father says, son, here's, here's your share. Here's your share of what I've worked for that you've not earned. But in my grace, I'm going to give you. It's your inheritance, have it. And off he goes. And you know the story. Tried everything that the world has to offer. He went seeking experiences that might make him feel good. He went looking to associate with those people that would say the things that his itching ears wanted to hear. He went in search of people that would make him look cool. He went in search of people that would make him feel good. He went everywhere to say, where can I do the stuff that's going to give me a buzz on the inside and make me feel great? Where can I go just to enjoy life in all of its fullness? And he discovered that while he'd got money flowing, he was popular. He was the life and soul of the party. You know, years and years and years ago when I was a DJ, I remember one occasion I was doing um, uh, a one-hour slot. Try not to imagine it. I was doing a one-hour slot and this was in 1989. And for that one-hour slot, on that particular occasion, I got paid £1,800. Cash. In 1989, I was 19. I'd spent the lot by the time I got home. And that happened on several occasions. 
When you've got cash to splash, you're everybody's friend. People were impressed in the nightclubs that we went to. Everybody wanted to have a drink from me because I was giving out drinks. I felt so good. I spent 1,800 pounds in one night. When I got no money left, suddenly nobody wanted to be my friend. The prodigal son discovered that when nothing fulfilled the need in him, those relationships that he'd gone looking for were shallow, hollow, empty, and meaningless. And we live in a world where people are doing exactly that. And you don't need money for it. We live in a world where people are going and looking for relationships. They're looking for a buzz. They're looking to fulfill a need deep within them. And I tell you, it is getting worse with every successive generation. Those of us who were child, children of the 80s, it was horrendous the way people were looking for that fulfillment. It was the yuppie culture. We were told that actually if you could just earn enough money, you could buy your way to happiness. And everybody has discovered that that's not true, although some people are still trying to do it. We're now living in a culture where everybody is constantly on some sort of an electronic device. And it matters how many friends you've got, how many likes you get on your latest post. All of it is hollow and meaningless unless we have got real relationships. And the point is everybody is looking for identity and security and significance. And so many people are looking for it in totally the wrong places. And the prodigal son got to the place where he thought, I'm going to die of starvation eating this pig swill. The servants, the slaves that my father employs... Those that are on his farm, the employed workers and the slaves that have no choice, even they are fed better than I am. I'll head home. And we know the story. The father's been looking out for him every single day since he left home. And when he sees in the distance a figure disheveled walking towards the village, this dignified man, this businessman, this wealthy, dignified man pulls up his robes and he runs and you did not do that. It was beneath you. He ran through the village to make sure that he got to his son before his son could come into a community which would ridicule him and reject him. The father went to protect the son and he embraced him. And he put around him a cloak to cover his shameful nakedness and the grime that he picked up through life. And he put sandals on his feet to say that he was no longer a servant. He was a free man. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. And he put a ring of identity on his finger to say, this one belongs to me. And he led him proudly through the community when people were looking on with disdain, but not daring to say a word. And he got home and he brought him back to the farm. And he said, get the fattened calf. This son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's been found. Let's have a party. And they killed the fattened calf and there was a banquet spread. And they partied. And boy, boy, 
do the people of God know how to party? Anyone ever been to a Jewish wedding? You want to go. They know how to party. Everybody had great fun at the party. Except one. The older son. Who comes to his father. And says something to the effect of. Dad. Can I have a quiet word with you? This whippersnapper, this filth that you still choose to call your son, he's dishonoured the family name. How, How can you possibly welcome that back into our family? You're bringing all of us into disrepute. We're going to be a laughingstock in the community. Why on earth, why on earth would you welcome him? Yes, make him a slave or something. Put him to work, for goodness sake. He took, he took from you. He stole from you. What has he ever done to earn your generosity? He hasn't lifted a finger. And all these years when he's been partying the money away, I've been working my socks off. Never once, Never once have you slaughtered the fatted calf for me. Not one party. Every day I get up at dawn and go to bed at dark working for you. And what have you ever done for me? Very new slipped into Monty Python then. And the father's reaction. Oh, son. Son. All of this is yours. Everything. All this time you've been living with me. And all of it, all of it is within your reach. You just needed to take hold of what's rightfully yours. You've been living with it right under your nose all of these years. You never asked me for a banquet. You never asked me to take hold of the blessings. You never realized what was rightfully yours. You just became so focused on what you were doing that you forgot who you are. And then you've become jealous when you see somebody else getting blessed. That's what Israel was doing. The people of Israel living in a place flowing with milk and honey. All of the spiritual blessings of God were theirs. And over half of them had not taken possession of that which was rightfully theirs. Just this little throwaway verse. Over half had not taken hold of that which was rightfully theirs. We're supposed to live in a place of freedom, blessing, and inheritance, church. Father wants you to take hold of your birthright. And yet, we live with this mentality, and I think it's taught in too many churches, that you get it when you die.
Yes, that's true. All of eternity with Jesus sounds pretty cool to me. I'm looking forward to heaven. Yeah, I'm, I'm rapidly approaching 50, and I'm realizing that actually I'm not 19 anymore. I, I can no longer run to the other side of the room without needing to lie down. That wasn't an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to having a new body. Is that an amen about mine? <laughs> I'm looking forward to living in a place with no physical suffering. I'm looking forward to the perfection of a body. <laughs> Yeah. For those of you listening on the recording, that was my wife laughing. <laughs> I'm looking forward to be fully, fully physically healed of every single ailment. I'm looking forward to heaven where there is no sickness, where there is no cancer in anybody's body, where there's no need for spectacles because you've got perfect vision. I'm looking forward to that. I hate wearing glasses especially in the rain. I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven where there's perfection in every relationship, where every single motive is pure, where you can trust what people actually say to you, where you know people aren't lying about you behind your back. I'm looking forward to that. Aren't you? Because that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. But my Jesus, he said, the kingdom is within your reach. Just as Joshua was saying to the people, how long until you take hold of that which is rightfully yours? Jesus said to the disciples, how long do I have to stay with you? The kingdom is within your reach. The place where the king reigns. The place where there is no sickness, where there is no sin, where there is no suffering. That's the kingdom of heaven and it is within our reach. Yet over half of the people of Israel did not take hold of that which they were entitled to. Jesus said, John 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. These are the words of Jesus. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Anyone who has faith in me, truly, the Greek is truly, truly, very truly, I tell you. So Jesus is saying, what I'm about to say to you is really true. This is a fundamental kingdom principle truth I'm about to tell you, is what he's saying. If you have faith in me, you'll do the things I've been doing. Who has faith in Jesus? Those of you who don't, please come forward afterwards, genuinely. That's not a joke. If you are here and you don't yet know Jesus, come forward. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. 
Those of you who put your hands up, I want to ask you a question. Do you actually, and be honest, do you actually want to do the things that Jesus did? It is hard. I noticed that when I asked you the question, not all of you answered. You know, not everybody wants to be healed. Did you know that? I remember having a conversation with someone some years ago who had been prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. And then they came to me and said, I've realized why I'm not getting my physical healing. I said, okay, go on, this is going to be interesting. I don't want to be healed. I said, what? You're in agony and you don't want to be healed. How does that work? Explain that to me. And they said, well, actually, part of my identity is wrapped up in my condition. And I've lived with this for so long that if that's taken away from me, who am I? That person had revelation of a very profound truth. Now, it broke my heart. I don't want my identity to be wrapped up in my weakness or my failings or my sin or my past life or my physical condition. I don't want to be identified by those things. But the reason so many people don't get healed is because deep down they're too frightened to allow God to heal them because it will mean changing them into something that they don't know what it's going to look like. Better the devil you know than the God you don't fully know is their, their, their actual way of living. They would never use that phrase because we're talking about Christians. But that's the truth of it. Why would you want to continue to live with the work of the devil gripping you than let go of that and allow God, the God of life and healing and abundance and creation of eternity to take hold of you and bring you into the fullness of life? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the reality is so many of us, over half of the tribes of Israel, were living in the promised land, but chose not to take hold of the promised land. The end of the story, they went on and did it. Hallelujah. So do you actually want to do the things that Jesus did? Of, of all the things that Jesus did, what would you most like to be able to do? It's not a rhetorical question. Open blind eyes. Anything else? I'd quite like to be able to turn water into wine. I'm not going to lie. Walk on water. Anyone ever tried that? Anyone ever succeeded? <laughs> what else? Free people from addictions. Amen. What else? Multiply food. Yeah. Love unconditionally. What else? Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Who wants to do all of those things?
I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What's stopping us? Ephesians 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That means all authority is given to us to multiply bread, to turn water into wine, to heal the sick, to love on people in the love of Jesus, to raise the dead, and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. The trouble is we read this verse, praise be to our God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses some people with a few spiritual blessings if they're really, really good. We don't believe it's really for us. We believe the lies of the enemy. Church, it's time. It's time to take the word of God seriously. It's time to take the God of the word seriously. It is time to take hold of that which is rightfully ours. That which has been purchased with the cost of the blood of Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That means we need to enter into the heavenly realms. That's worship and prayer. That doesn't mean spending an hour or so on a Sunday looking at your watch thinking, when's he going to stop because I've got a joint in the oven. That means a lifestyle of prayer and worship. It means saying, I'm going to believe it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And it means taking hold of that which is rightfully ours and walking it out day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, until he comes back or calls us home and we spend all of eternity with him. That's what it means to be a Christian. And it isn't always easy. But that's what we're called to. But every time I pray, I get so frustrated. Yep, been there. Don't stop. But you know, we've prayed, and yes, we've seen three people, was it in the last four years, healed of cancer, hallelujah. But we've prayed for several others, and they haven't been. Well, all I know is this, the more we pray for the sick, the more we see them healed. Sometimes I get words of knowledge and I go up to people and they're wrong. So, at least you went up to someone and showed them love. Who knows? Perhaps they walked away and thought, wow, someone cares. Cares enough to stop in the street and actually speak to me. Maybe there is a God after all. We get excited that we've led one person to the Lord in the last year. Book of Acts. Daily, the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. Why? Because they were so fired up 
with having had an encounter with the living word, with Jesus. They were so anointed with Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they were willing to be spat at, mocked, stoned to death, if that's what it took, to win just one more for Jesus. To see just one more life touched. To see just one more healing. One more person set free from addiction. One more life saved from the pit of hell. And next Sunday, we're going to go out and win fleet for Jesus. We're going to get out there amongst the people. We're going to have a celebration at Clarence Road first. We're going to invite the fire of Holy Spirit to come and ignite us so that when we go out, we become fire lighters right around this community. Because church, it's time. It's time to stop messing about time to stop being petty and it's time to say I want to take hold of the kingdom I want the king to take hold of me I want to be empowered by the spirit that anointed Jesus at his baptism I want to live I want to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven here and now without compromise and I want to see Jesus come every day in my life and into other people's lives through me that he gets the glory anybody with me why don't we stand together